Now, what do you want? What do you want for your life? How big a life do you want? What sacrifices are you prepared to make in order to achieve what you want to achieve? You're listening to the Fitness Industry Podcast, powered by Australian Fitness Network. For articles, resources, and inspiration to grow your fitness business and career, go to fitnessnetwork.com.au, where you can also find a huge range of online courses accredited for CECs and other professional development credits, with up to a massive 30% saving for members of Australian Fitness Network. And for face-to-face learning, network members also save on standard rates for Filex, the fitness industry convention. In this episode, personal training franchise entrepreneur Andrew Simmons chats with the fitness industry podcast's Oliver Kitchingman about systemizing personal training, inadvertently creating a blueprint for a fitness franchise, what it takes to upscale your PT business, and his diverse industry career from presenting at to now co-owning the Filex Fitness Industry Convention. Andrew, welcome to the Fitness Industry Podcast. Thanks, mate. Thanks for having me today. Great to be here. Andrew, I mean, this this year we're at Filex 2018 at the moment, where so I'm having a chat with you. This this year you've got a different kind of involvement in the event than you have in previous years. Yeah, it's been an interesting 12 months, mate. I remember sitting here actually at a convention last year and we talked about the potential acquisition of Filex. Now that we thought, okay, when I was on the Board of Fitness Australia at the time, mm. we thought it'd be wonderful to have Filex, uh, sorry, uh, Fitness Australia actually own Filex. And that was the, we pushed forward with that. I thought it'd be, it'd be great. We talked about how in many other countries that, the, that the, the peak body actually owns a convention. And we thought that one day that we'd like to actually sort of pursue that for Fitness Australia, it'd actually be a, a good add-on like it's been successful in other countries. And then, you know, funny enough, it actually, you know, probably about six months after we were really talking about it at a board meeting, it became available, and Nigel and Greg suggested they were looking at selling. You know, so we thought, wow, we want to jump on this as an opportunity for Fitness Australia. You know, but um, it worked out that Fitness Australia needed some joint venture partners to be involved, and we wanted to make sure that Fitness Australia actually really owned the event. It just meant that they needed some assistance for that to happen. So, yeah, we uh, sort of formed a joint venture with Fitness Australia, and it sort of became logical for me to become chairman of Filex. You know, so it's a, it's a totally different role now, mate. It's uh, different, but it's been fun. It's, it's been really good looking at it from another perspective. You can understand the stresses that are involved. I mean, the most important thing is we listen to what people want. That's that's the, the role of the, the new joint venture is that we really want to see what people want because we know that the landscape's changing now. The industry is just evolving at a, just a crazy rate. You know, as Thomas Plummer said yesterday, there's chaos everywhere in the industry. You know, so to really cater for the next wave of fitness professional that's coming coming through is really important because they need the education. You know, they need it. So we want to make sure that the Filex event's going to really cater for them to continue on ongoing education. So as you know, uh, Fitness Australia's goal now is to professionalise exercise. You know, so so long as we can really focus on doing that. And turning this, as I've always, I've said for many years, I want to turn this industry industry into a profession. That's been a that's been a big. I mean, personal motivator for me. That's why, you know, when when the opportunity came up to actually be involved in Filex, the joint venture, I really wanted to do it because, you know, if I think about the overarching mission that I've had is to, you know, to turn this from an industry into a profession, and we believe Filex is a great way to be able to do that. You know, to professionalise exercise. It happens to be that, you know, now Fitness Australia has got that as a bit of a tagline. 
you know, it really works nicely, you know, and that's been a, a goal of mine ever since I left the chartered accounting world back in, back in the early 90s. You know, I left, left that and, and went, okay, I've gone from a professional environment and I've gone into the gym scene. The wild west of the gym wild, scene almost the wild, as it was then in the early 90s, no? Absolutely. You know, like your, your bum bags and your, your big baggy pants and the rest of it and the little short slingers. I'm not sure it's changed too much in that sense. But, you know, you got people sitting behind desks with their feet up on the tables and it's posters hanging off walls and, you know, just, just, it just wasn't professional, you know. So I saw a huge opportunity back then to go, well, you know, we can actually turn this into a profession. So I well, still think we've got a long way to go, but... The good thing is we've got to, got the right attitude to do it. Well, it's constant evolution, I guess, isn't it? Mm, absolutely. So, I mean, look, you're talking about your, your move from chartered accountancy. Look, oh, Andrew, I'll be honest with you, look, I've known you for over a decade. I, I think it's the first I've heard about that background. Yeah, you know, yeah. I think you've always just been the vision guy. Yeah. And I know you, you've, you've done coaching and, and with the Institute, Australian Institute of Fitness. I, I wasn't really aware of your pre-fitness background. You had, you had a whole other existence. Mate, it wasn't a very long existence. Let me tell you, I, was, I call it the dark side. It was only two years. It was, it was two years of my life between, you know, I left school in 1989. Then between 1990 and 91, I studied accounting part-time at night and, and worked full-time in a chartered accounting firm. You know, so it was actually, you know, whilst I was never going to be very good at it because I wasn't passionate about it, it actually, ultimately, that two years gave me a good opportunity to understand what the business world was actually all about. You know, I had to work in a structured environment, right? So when you're, when you're working in an accounting firm, you're charging out for every six minutes of your, your day. So you have to charge a client for every six minutes. Wow, is that and, still the way it works? Absolutely, it's all timesheets. Mm. It's, all, it's, all, it's all basically fee for service. And, you know, whether it's in a, in, in a, in a personal trainer's world, generally, you know, you're really restricted. It's either half an hour, an hour, and a client pays 45 minutes, whatever the time is. And clients pretty much pay a set fee for that. But so, in, so no room for six-minute training sessions? No, no room for six-minute training sessions. But, um, you know, it wasn't as if you could, you know, in that, that world, it wasn't even said okay to a client. And even though I know some businesses change now, they do have some sort of set fees, but pretty much it's been all around, well, bill you for the time we spend. And they bill you in six-minute increments. You know, so you, you've got a timesheet which you write down a bit of paper and then you had to pretty much write, okay, so from, you know, the hour of 10.06 in the morning, you know, to 10.12 and to 10.18 and 10.24, you work on this client stuff and then, then you might have to go to the toilet and you put down admin to go to the toilet, you know, and you had to make sure that you had a good balance between, you know, not having so many admin hours and you sort of get judged on how many billable hours that you're actually providing. I can't, so, I can't imagine why you ever left. Yeah, imagine, you know. But it was actually really good grounding for me because it actually made me disciplined. Mm. It made me be really structured and, you know, it made me value a client's time, you know, because that's what I had to do. Like, you know, I'm, you know, I used to see some people, they probably bill people when they weren't even working, you know. Mm. Not a mate from school tell me he used to go to the movies who worked at another chartered firm and while he was supposed to go and see a client. I, I could never do that, you know. And I, I felt... I thought, you know, people are paying good money to build their business and I'm going to rip them off, mm. you know. So it actually, that was actually a good time. But it so taught me to be disciplined. It also taught me about some numbers and how to look at a, a P&L and a balance sheet and understand all that sort of stuff. Not that I like doing them, but that made me understand it and also made me understand professionalism, you know. And, and when I visited different firms and different clients and I could see what, what actually happened, I think it sort of gave me pretty good grounding. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, uh, so no regrets about doing it for a couple of years, but no regrets about making the decision to move into fitness, right? I think I was pretty lucky because a lot of people would pretty much just stay in that same job for a a large, long period of time, you know, but I sort of, 
I sort of say I was a slow learner for two years, but you know, it could have been a lot longer. And I know that a lot of people, you know, get stuck in you know jobs for decades and careers for decades because they either feel stuck or don't know what to do. But I was young enough to, and I was fortunate. I lived at home, right? I lived at my parents' place. You know, parents. You know, I grew up in the Shire, pretty much. That's you know, so a, the, the Shire Cronulla region yeah, of uh, Sydney. Yeah, yeah, God's country, we call it down in the Sutherland Shire of Sydney, as every, as everyone knows. So for those silly people on the northern beaches, you know, they seem to think their area is. I always get out of the institute. I know where the people live from the the uh, northern beaches because as soon as I say that, they they tend to arc up about it. So it's quite funny. Yeah. So but I was just lucky to grow up in the shire down there, and you know, my parents' house was pretty much two three minutes away from the local gym. Where, funny enough, Peter and Fiona Cosgrove, who I know Fiona's you're interviewing on these podcasts, she was a great mentor. She was my first boss, you know, and, and she, funny enough, gave me my first gig at Filex. I presented for her with her, I should say. When she did her master's degree, she was doing it in, in exercise and I did the practical component of her circuit class. So she taught, you know, she basically did a session on is circuit training an effective form of cardiovascular fitness? What, were your, what conclusion did you arrive at? Funny enough, yes it is. You know, we found that it's a good form of cardiovascular fitness. So I did the practical part. <laughs> she did the science, um, her being very intelligent in that space. And yeah, because oh, I taught circuit classes for her at the gym, I did the practical part. So it was a really good introduction for me to, to actually speak at Filex. And you know, I've been fortunate to have the opportunity to speak most years, years since. So it's been fun. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, what, you, you left school, you were working in the gym, yeah, you had your chartered accountant time. Yep. When did you establish your first vision training studios or, or were you uh, a self-employed trainer yeah. initially oh well, that was a long that was a you know, long time you know when we founded vision we well, i finished my exercise science degree in 1994 and pete and fiona had some pretty tight rules down there at, uh, at sylvania physical and they said until you get an exercise science degree you can't be a personal trainer and that was the rules of pete and his club and and good on him for that pretty so high, pretty high entry yeah it was and it was professional mate it was um, and i really like i really liked the standard that they created there you know, which was you know to to make sure you had qualified people doing it. and then we had guys like Mark Davis he ran his physio practice out of the club so Mark's been a great mentor of mine you know in especially in my early career which is great but um what I did it, it gave me the grounding to work on the gym floor for two years part time when I studied my exercise science degree you know but that meant that I got to know everyone in the gym I got to understand programming to understand human behaviour and all that sort of stuff so by the time I got my ex, ex- science degree. And then he said to me, you can be a personal trainer on the floor. It was a no-brainer for me. I, I knew everybody. I, I taught aerobics. I taught circuits. I worked behind reception. I did gym floor. You know, so it was, it was actually really easy for me to transition to become a personal trainer back in 1995. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I kept my classes. You know, uh, we were the se- fortunate to be the second gym in Australia to get body pump down there at Sylvania Physical. So, you know, I, I love the philosophy. I love what Emma and Emma Barry and Steve Renata in particular, what they were doing and the passion they had for structured, strong, straight exercise, you know, rather than us getting dizzy doing aerobics, we're actually getting a great workout now, doing, you know, body pump first and then body attack. And, you know, I, I was just fortunate to get swept up in the in their, their world, you know, sort of became one of the national trainers for Les Mills. You know, so I train my clients and do my classes at the gym during the week. And then on the weekends, I travel around doing workshops, training the instructors um, in body pump first and then body attack. So I was working most weekends. I was working seven days a week often, you know, to be able to do that. And it was, um, it was great fun. You know, I, I really enjoyed that, that, that sort of era between 
19, the start of 1996 that all, all unfolded mm. and I kept on doing that for three solid years and, and then I thought, you know what, oh, I'm sick of working as a sole trader, personal trainer, I'm just trading my time for money. My ex-girlfriend's father, I'll tell this story a lot, my ex-girlfriend's father's name is Philip Trevet and he founded the Trevet Classic Car Empire and he, he basically said to me one day, mate, when are you going to get a business rather than having a job? And I thought I had a business because I was doing all this stuff, you know, lecturing. I was lecturing for, back then for, for network, you know, before the whole thing has evolved in the Australian Institute of Fitness, way, way back when. I think I lectured in the Atchipa Fitness Leader course, you know, doing lecturing on functional anatomy. And then back then, then I lectured at the University of New South Wales in functional anatomy as well. And then I was doing all of the, they say, the network presentations. I was doing Les Mills presentations, training my clients, thinking I had a business. But I was doing all the work. And I realised that's just a job. So it coincided with me reading the E-Myth by Michael Gerber about working on your business rather than in your business. I realised that I was a technician that had an entrepreneurial seizure, thought I had a business, but I didn't, I had a job. And it really it changed me because then I looked at it and went, hang on, if we can systemise group fitness so that people can consistently do that around the world, well, I, can, I can do the same thing with personal training. I know they had a, they had a personal training strand on that and I sort of was in conversations about trying to sort of take on the the PT side for Les Mills, which sort of hasn't really been a big thing for them. But I went, you know what, no, nah, I want to do my own thing. I, I, was, I was in the throes of actually going over to the UK and helping them set up Les Mills in the UK there, but it was, I, obviously I was with Phil's daughter at the time and we were thinking, okay, well, are we going to uproot our lives and go over to the, to the UK? To be honest, it was probably one of those things that I look back on and went, well, the, the opportunity wasn't right for me. You know, I, I had a really solid PT business back in Sydney you know the unknown was there they weren't going to pay me very much money to go over there to be honest to do that and I thought you know what I'll, I'll sort of end that chapter in terms of trying to evolve with Les Mills because the opportunity wasn't really there for me anywhere else so I went I'm going to do the same thing with PT so I started writing systems just like they had the body pump manuals and the body attack manuals mm. I'll create systems for PT just like they've done for group fitness so at this point you had, you, did you have your, your, a studio or no? I was, I was working in Pete's gym still. So I was still, I was still back in, you know, Sylvania Physical actually we moved to a big cinema complex called Club Physical. It was a great move for, for Pete and Fiona. It was you know, a massive change. It, it was a beautiful club. Mate. We, had, we had some of the best presenters now. Like Greg Seller worked with us. Kathy Spencer worked with us. Michael Judd. We had Mark Davis. We had all of these. You know, Rich Hudson, Steve Steve Dale, all these superstar club. All these, yeah, absolutely. And we did, mate. We had we had like, you know just great people that actually worked in that club. And we were really fortunate. Probably didn't realise at the time actually how good it was. You know, considering where all of these people have gone off to now. You know, so yeah, it was it was great. Then you know, of course, Pete and Fiona decided to sell the club. Then that they changed all the rules on PT when fitness first came in and and took over the club and. God love it now. I talk about Dave Allen. Dave Allen was fun enough, worked at Fitness First Head Office. I actually thanked Dave in the speech in 2010 when we won National PT Business of the Year. Like Dave, and basically under the instructions of the Fitness First Management, said, okay, anyone who has a personal trainer working for them, if that trainer leaves them, they can't replace them because we're changing the rules on how personal trainers work in all the clubs. Pretty much... Dave said in a bunch of probably 50 trainers or something, I can't remember, roughly, at Fitness First Head Office in Bondi Junction. Guys, if you don't like it, do what Andrew and Jeff, Jeff Jowett, my ex-business partner, do what Andrew and Jeff are thinking about doing. Maybe you can go and open your own studio. And that was it for me. We walked out of that office and went, we'll either stay in here and die or we, we grow and we leave. It was either 
grow or die. Mate, that was really hard, Ollie. I, I tell you, like, mm. that time, mate, I felt like I owned that club. That club was part of me for so many years, you know. That was like, you know, pretty much, you know, since I in, got involved in that club back in 1992 through to year 2000, that was my club. You know, I, I, when I say it was my club, I just treated it like it was mine. You know, I walked in every day. It was like, it was like my house. You know, I spent so many hours in that place. It was crazy. You know, and I wanted to make sure that everyone was happy all the time. You know, and it sort of slowly turned into this, you know, really, you know, corporate giant when Fitness First came and took it over, and it was turnstiles and all that sort of stuff. And you know, we, and then it got really crowded because they were just selling memberships like nothing else. And you know, it was pretty much a time where we got, we got to leave. You know, I saw Craig Harper in personal. You know, I had he had Harper's personal training in Melbourne. He had three clubs doing a thousand sessions a week across all three of them. And I, I saw it on a network magazine. That that, that that network magazine was everything to me back then. Mm. I couldn't wait for the network magazine to come out because that was a source of truth for me about what was going on. I didn't have any of this stuff back in you know back in the internet and all that sort of thing to get access to information. Mm. No, the network magazine. Was it, mate? As you know, you know, for so many years, and you know, I saw this. I've got, I've got my copy of the Network magazine and saw Harper's personal training on the front cover of the thing. I'm like, yeah. it was of the, it was of the PT. He had a little set. He had the main Network magazine. He had the secondary PT thing mm-hmm. that used to be with it. I still, I presented it this morning. I showed a copy of the front, the, the actual cover of Craig. So went down and he gave us the inspiration to then go and open our own studio. You know, so we opened our. Uh, we found form vision. I went to business partner with Jeff back in August 1999. We stayed in the gym until February 2001 when we opened our first vision studio down in Carimba in, in the south. We our first year is surrounded by industrial factories and swampland. There's nothing around us, but it was the only place we could find big enough premises because Craig had a thousand square meters in Brighton in Melbourne on the Nepean Highway, and because we were young and egotistical, we thought we're going to try and do bigger. But we couldn't get bigger. That's why we didn't do bigger, which is thank what, what God. Was the, what was the square meterage of that place? Well, that was a thousand square meters. Was, right. Yeah, or ten thousand square feet, as the Americans talk. And we can only find half of that. Yeah. But still, for us in PT, that was massive. You know, so we managed to. We grew very quickly. We we're doing, you know, doing eight hundred sessions of personal training a week. Everything was actually, you know, really, we, we grew up really quick. So how many, yeah. how many trainers did you have? Well, we had 16 trainers that were working with us at the time down at the club. But the funny thing is we were really good at getting results from people. Geez, we were bad in business. We were discounting services all over the place. We were looking after our trainers. We wanted all the trainers to come with us, so we paid them way more than what we could afford. So, you know, if you know in a business, you should be spending about probably 30 to 40% on, on your, of your turnover on your payroll to survive. You know, but we were sort of used to that whole thing about you know going back to the gym days when you know you took sixty percent of the cut and the gym took forty. You know that was how, and we modelled ourselves off that split. But it's okay when you're you're only you know you don't have to worry about paying for the equipment all that sort of stuff. It's just a rental. It's actually easy. So we continue with that sort of philosophy with our trainers. So we can only keep forty percent of the money. Now, when you keep me forty percent of the money, but you're actually got that forty percent being the expenses of actually. You know, whether it's the rent and whether it's the equipment costs and the cleaning and you're all left, those sorts of things, with. we're left with nothing. So actually, we both made, Jeff and I, both made more money as our own individual sole trainer, personal trainers, as what we did when we had 16 trainers working with us. Yeah. So I guess that this kind of goes to the heart of it. The, the problem for a lot of personal trainers, a lot of fitness, fitness professionals, yeah. their, their passion's exercise and training, and they're great at training clients. They've got the know-how. 
but the business is where they fall down. Absolutely, that's that's a huge problem. You know, and I, and I, and I sort of talk about it. You know, it's not, and it's not the it's not the RTOs or the registered training organisations' fault. You know, when it comes to that, but mm. I think people get set up. They think they're going to go and do a personal training course, come out with a cert four, and be a great business owner. You know, and it's so far from reality. It's crazy. You know, unless you've got a background in business and marketing and communication, you know, let's say marketing, you think you know, all the insights are marketing. Well, unless you've got backgrounds in that, good luck. Good luck. You're better off going working inside a, inside a gym or for somebody else, you know. But even when you're working in a gym, unfortunately, these trainers go and work in a gym, and even though they've got thousands of members they've got access to, they've got no idea how to communicate with them. They've got no idea how to approach them. They don't know how to sell to them, you know. So it's it's a challenge though that it's, I don't blame the courses. It's not the courses' fault. The government actually decides what goes into the Cert Three and Cert Four, you know. But it's about the ongoing education that trainers do that, and hence the reason why I sit here in Philex. You know, to, as one of the avenues to upskill trainers to make sure they continue to actually to learn. But yeah, well, we've got a massive turnover rate of PTs in the industry because, unfortunately, they think that they're going to be successful by doing a very short course. So, look, if if for a lot of PTs, a career in fitness falls down because of a lack of business acumen, no, but they're amazing trainers, but they lack that something. Is it better for them to get up to speed with all of these things that they've got a shortcoming in, or do they need to find a new way of doing business, partnering with people who do have those skills, getting people to do the books, to do the marketing? Absolutely. Yeah, well, I mean, one of the biggest things. I mean, we talk about it, help people work to their strengths. That's a big thing. I, I talk about the, the old H&R block out on TV where the little lady's sitting there and she finds this little tax deduction for somebody and she sits there and goes, ooh. She's really excited by this little tax deduction she got and you see most people sit there and think, oh, God, I can't think of anything worse. You know, so I think you, you've got to partner with people. I mean, if you're a great personal trainer, don't do your books. If you don't like to do your books, pay somebody to do that because then you can spend that time either prospecting for a new client or training a new client and you're going to make more money for that hour of training that client than what you have to pay a bookkeeper. You know, that's really important. So sort of find out what your strengths are and go for it. But I don't recommend trainers go and try and fend for themselves when they first leave a course unless they've got a good background. Mm. You know, If you're coming out, say, straight from school and you try and work in a gym, I'm always to talk about... You know, fitness first down in Sylvania, it was like a shark tank. You know, there were sharks. I was a shark. You know, you see new trainers come in, they're coming into your turf. You know, and, and even though you're wearing the same sort of, same sh- shirt now, they're actually wearing a fitness first shirt, or it doesn't matter what brand it is. It's not about fitness first at all. But it's like if you're coming into someone else's territory, you want to be damn good because you're actually competing for clients against these people. You know, so it's a challenge. And I think often the trainers just aren't skilled enough to be able to cope. You know, it's great for the gyms because they make their rent, you know, from the trainers. But I just don't think it's conducive for a long-term career. So they've definitely got to upskill. I mean, I think that's the, you know, when they learn, they get their cert for, they've got to go and learn about sales. That's the first thing you'll learn about, how to sell. And we're lucky having Steve Jensen. Steve Jensen's been a big part of my development. You know, when I realised... I went over to the States and visited uh, Fitness Together, Rick Sikorsky. Heard about him having franchised his business and he's got hundreds of gyms over there. You know, I learned about it. He said he, he failed. He failed as a personal trainer. Went back and studied business and now he's doing okay, he says. You know, killing it. But, you know, he had to learn how to sell. He had to learn how to market. All these things that trainers don't want to do. But and so if you don't want to do that, don't work for yourself. Go and work for somebody who's going to give you the clients. Completely. 
So, I mean, that brings me to, like, you, you talk about the early days of vision there. You've now got around 60 locations across Australia and New Zealand, I believe. Yep. And this is, it's been a steady growth over the last decade or so. It's not been like an overnight, you know, we're just going gangbusters. You, you guys have, it's been a steady growth where you've been kind of making sure the market's right for each new club that opens. Yeah. So, I mean, to to do that, obviously, you say you've certain things that have inspired you. There have been these kind of watershed moments for you where you've seen these clubs or you've met these people that have, have done something and then you think, oh, I can do that. Did you what what assistance did you have to, to when you when you decided to start growing it from one club to more basically upscaling which is obviously a topic close to your heart what was the the kind of the main impetus there it really just happened organically like we we realized I said I never built vision to franchise it I never did it you know I remember Todd Durkin speaking about it yesterday and he said you've got to build your business like you're going to build 500 of them and it's true. And that's what I did, but I didn't have the goal. Funny enough, I, I didn't have the goal of opening 500. All I wanted to do was make sure that trainers were delivering consistent message. That's what it was really about. That was the first step. Yep. And then we started creating all the systems so that, you know, whether it was programming, we had developed consistent program for our trainers. And, you know, the whole bunch, we created the personal trainer manual, just like they've got the Les Mills body pump, body attack, body step, all those sorts of manuals that they've got. I create our manuals for how to train a client, how to talk to a client, how to do an initial consultation, how to do a goal session, how to, what to discuss about nutrition, where you can, can't overstep the boundaries what you can. Like, when do you refer someone to a doctor? When do you not? All these types of systems and all the reporting systems and, and how do we track retention of clients and how do we, how do we service clients better? We just documented everything. You know, that, that was the thing. And then it became, you know, we started building software systems as well because there were no software systems around. It was, um, you know, we built this nutrition CD and it was all about, you know, the macronutrients and how to help people understand that. We built them way before on Excel, way before apps even came in. You know, when the apps came in, it was like, I've been waiting for this, these apps things for, for, for literally a decade you know, before they, you know, we were using it. I remember, I remember showing people our Excel file on nutrition planning. People were blown away by it because you know, back then it was completely cut edge. You look at it now, we, we, every now and grab a nutrition CD and we laugh you know, about what it was. But you know, that was what it was about. And then our trainers who were working for us, they said, Farah, we want the same opportunity. We actually want to take this blueprint mm. and actually open our own studios and that's what happened we basically just took you know we had we had mark he was a trainer with us uh, for, for four years down at our carrying bar studio he went open in ranwick and then his brother opened in bondi then his best mate opened in in mossman and then we continued to grow trainers we had another another whole bunch of trainers start to go out and do that and so the early days we i mean it took us from the time we opened in carrying bar it took us about five years to open our first six or seven studios. You know, it took us all that, that groundwork to get that whole thing going. And then we managed from there because all, the, got, all those guys were successful in what they did because yep. we trained them so, so well. That was the big thing. And when I look back on it, it was the, the training that did that. And then we managed to open, you know, on average 10 or 11 or 12 you know, sort of studios a year through 2007, 8, 9. And, and then up to 10. And then we pretty much realised, hang on, we've grown pretty quickly because we're, we're not just a box. Mm. We're not, it's not a circuit. There's a lot of, there's a lot of in-depth things to here to know how to actually help clients get results. Yeah, you've got, you've got yeah. people. That's the difference is, yeah, you've got really good people working yeah. in each of your clubs. So that's, that's right. It. Yeah. yeah, and it's just constant training. And if I look back on it now about scaling up, you know, I sort of talk about, you know, today in my session, I talked about the barriers to scaling up. You know, mm. uh, number one thing, the barrier to scale up is leadership. 
absolutely critical. You've got to be a great leader and have the desire to develop your people. If you don't have a desire to develop people, then forget about it because the complexity in it is crazy. The communication complexity. So your complexity between me and you is a, is a two-factor complexity. As soon as you go to three people, it becomes a six-factor complexity. As soon as you go to four people, it becomes a 24-factor complexity because of all the different communication across the way it works amongst you four. So the complexity goes up the more you, the, the larger your business grows. You know, so you've got to be able to overcome those complexities. You only overcome it through leadership. You've got to have infrastructure that's scalable mm-hmm. so you can develop it. So whether it's through now apps and web programming and online training and all these things to get the message out. So you know, when we're sitting in Carringbar, we can know that in Auckland, in New Zealand, our systems are being rolled out effectively. You know, so we've got to have that. And then marketing is the other one. You've got to have a construction, uh, a great marketing team. It's taken me years. I've been through phases where I've had, I've had good marketing teams, I've had bad marketing teams. I've tried to take the market on myself to try and save the owner's dollars. And now I realize the time all I need really is a dedicated marketing team. They're going to roll that out. It's, it's critical. So unless you get those three things really good, because they're so complex, all those areas, it's going to be challenging. You know, and then in order to scale up from there, you need to look at that people development side, how you're going to develop like a recruitment. Recruitment's got to be on point. Get that, that and then the process is all around the recruitment, around your people. You know, make sure they've got the right people. Are they you got to, got to have a you know, we talk about a sort of fifteen stage recruitment process. Wow. Do they fit your culture? But as you know, they frequently cited it, especially at the Filex in the business sessions, it is a higher slow. If you're slow to hire, slow to fire. It's yeah. you know that you've got to you've got to take that time. Don't rush into you it. Have if to. You're just going to waste yourself time yeah. down the, in the long run. My accountant Brett Kelly talks to me about it all the time. He says, "So okay, so you didn't get the right person. Just tell me which part of the recruitment checklist you decided to skip. You know which part? Because you obviously didn't do the recruitment process properly. And we find that in our network. Otherwise, they get desperate." Someone leaves and they go, Dad, I've got to get a trainer, I've got to get a trainer. And then, of course, they get the wrong trainer. So then they invest the time and the money into that trainer. And then because they haven't made sure they're right for the business, that trainer leaves. And you think the, the cost of trainers leaving is huge you know, on your business because of your time, you have to invest in them. But you've got to invest time in it because like, you say, what if, you, what if you, you know, people get worried all the time, but if I invest all this time in people, they might leave. But Sorry, what if you don't invest in them and they stay? You know, then you've got a nightmare on your hands because they're going to provide bad service. So that people development side, you've got to spend the time. You've got to spend the time on them. You know, it's, it's absolutely critical that you do that. And then once you've done that, you've got to make sure you've got a good strategy in place. And I think strategy is critical in this, in this landscape now because there's so much chaos going on. You've got to be clear about, what you, about who you are, about who your business is and who your target market is. As soon as you start getting clouded because you know you want bright shiny stuff, and it's almost like every year bright shiny stuff comes along, and you've got to be really careful not get swept up by it. You know it can be a challenge because even over the years at Filex, it's been a challenge. I don't think if for an educated person, Filex is actually really fantastic. For an uneducated person, when you get some guru who comes in and tries to, you know, say this is the only way to do this. You know, and trying to sell their way. There's no only way. There's no only way. Whether it's, you know, I, I did a presentation for Mortgage Choice. Um, I've been doing their roadshow for the last couple of weeks, Spema Health and Wellness. And you know, I, I spoke about it today. A lady came up to me afterwards and said, Andrew, I'm doing intermittent fasting. 
Now, I'm not a big proponent of intermittent fasting. I'm not going to go and preach it. I just ask, how's it working for you? Is it working? She goes, yeah, I'm actually finding it pretty good. I feel really positive about myself. I've got lots of energy. I went, good on you. Now, I've got to say, years gone by, I would not have said that. I'll be the first one to say, I would not have said that. I would have said, oh, that's a silly, that's blah, 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 you know. But no, I go, is it working? You know, so you look at the modalities of fitness that are actually out there right now, whether it's, whether it's big box, little box, in a park, in a shed, whatever it is, it's catering for a market. You know, it's, it's doing its job. I don't think we're anywhere near market penetration yet at all. You know, we're not, we've got so much opportunity. We're just going to be mindful about where we're going to swim. I think people swim in these shark-infested waters and cater for the fit. You know, Fitness Australia's big push at the moment is to, or has been for a while, is to make sure that we get to the masses of people who need our help rather than just catering for the fit people all the time. So huge opportunities out there. The strategy is critical. Where are you going so you don't get swept up by all these things? Then you've got to execute. You've got to execute it. So you've got to make sure you've got a good execution strategy. And you've got obviously timelines and deadlines and accountabilities. You know, they're, the, they're the big things. And then, and then finally what you need to look at is you're just going to make sure you've got cash. You know, cash is king. You know, I think a lot of people, you know, because they don't have big goals for their life, they tend to live week by week. You know, it's, it's almost, there's a great saying, people only change it three times in their life, and that is when they hurt enough that they have to, they learn enough so they want to, and then they receive enough so they're able to. And what I mean by that, especially with people, you know, when it comes to money, most people, unfortunately, make just enough money to get by. So they're out of pain. But then, of course, when it comes time to reinvest, in their business because some competitor comes in and tries to, and almost, it's not even tries to tell you, no, they, they, the competitors raise the bar. They raise the bar. And then you gotta go, how are you gonna combat that? If you haven't got the cash mm-hmm. to scale up, to be able to combat that, and then invest in either technology, or tra- invest in training, and work on your people, or invest in better equipment, you're going to become a statistic. So that's why I think it's really important in business that people become really good goal setters. They understand that and they always plan for the future. They're planning ahead. But most importantly, they're planning to go, I've got to set aside some money mm-hmm. for future development. And this is setting aside money. This is setting aside money for specifically for reinvesting in business development. Absolutely. This isn't like, okay, I've got to this stage. Now I'm going to take out a million dollar loan against a business. No, it's literally setting. It's, we listen to it's, it's really great. I think sometimes you get the best learnings when you listen to people in the business world. You know, a lot of people are you know in the fitness industry are fitness people. You know, we were lucky to have a guy come and speak at our conference. This guy owns seventy KFC restaurants. Him and his wife own seventy KFCs. It's insane. He says the best relationship you need to have is with your bank manager. You need to know at all times what your position is with your bank manager. If you need to borrow some money for some reason, you have the ability to do it. And if you can't do that, then you need to know what needs to happen so that you can. And where do you need to be all the time? That's just future-proofing your business. And this guy spends, literally, he reinvests, you can imagine, 70 KFCs. He reinvests millions of dollars every year back into his business. And he said, he, you know, he sits back and he, he loves developing people. So his people budget is huge. Because it's all about people. People often forget, think about food and they go, oh, it's different because they're actually just selling a product, not a service. Mm-hmm. Now, you've got to have motivated people to deliver that product because in a lot of ways in the food industry, it's a lot harder because they've got these health and safety regulations they have to follow. 
There's, there isn't that the health and safety regulation in the fitness industry like there is in food. You know, so they can so easily get shut down if their people aren't doing the right thing. You know, so I think that's where people go so wrong, they confuse it. And then, but I think they use it as an excuse. Oh, but it's easy for them because they're in food and food's, a, food's not a service. You know, it doesn't involve people. Yeah, you've got to motivate people, but especially brands like KFC and Macca's, they do a better job with 15-year-olds and inspiring 15-year-olds, and we often do, with 25-year-olds. I mean, you can get a 15-year-old from McDonald's to upsell you consistently. Like Amanda Stevens says the other day in her session, simply by asking someone if they want a Kit Kat across one of the brands that she was working with, she shared with the group that this brand was able to sell over a year 380,000 Kit Kats that yielded over $700,000 of revenue simply because of the cashier they were asking people if they wanted a Kit Kat. You know, how's that? Now, don't be wrong, they got rejected. They were rejected four out of ten times. And but a lot of people think, oh but, but, oh, but what happens if I get rejected? You know, surely they won't be thinking about rejection when you're selling that many. But that's, un- that, that's about business. That's all about what we need to do to be hungry to get out there and do it. So the food industry and a business, they're killing us because it is better at business. So PT should be selling Kit Kats? Yeah, we joked about that, actually. <laughs> we literally joked about that last night. We're selling Kit Kats now through Vision. <laughs> no, no, we're not selling Kit Kats. Uh, no, but at the same time, we, we, it makes us look hard at that and go, okay, where, where are our little things? Where's the opportunity? Yeah, There's where, always another opportunity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's, our, what's our Kit Kat opportunity? Now, what, what does it look like in our business? What does it look like in any of your listeners' business? What can you do so you can think about new ways of, of generating revenue? Mm-hmm. You know, I reckon most people, though, funny enough, have got all the revenue streams that they need. They've got them all there. They just don't execute. They just don't. They're looking for the new shiny thing. How are we going to, how are we going to increase the revenue stream by looking out, in, looking out afar when the revenue streams that they know they should be implementing are sitting right at their feet? Right at their feet. Whether it's an upsell for an extra session here and there. Whether it's, you know, people are selling supplements inside their studio. Actually selling into, into to sort of in a group training, whatever it happens to be. Merchandise. You make money. Like I think about the, the merchandise that goes on in a chemist. All those little thousands of little products that people buy that adds up to a lot. You know, so you could sell a, sell a client a cap or a water bottle, or a t-shirt. There's always margin in that stuff. And it's, it's like those little daily disciplines that can have a massive impact mm. at the end of the year. Not, not today, but just the consistent things done well leads to big growth. But hey, you need to train people for that. You know, you need to, you know, on the phone, like we do it at Vision. Ring, 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 ring. You know, that, that's, the, that's the sound of role play about to unfold about how you're going to answer the phone. You know, but what often we do, we don't spend the time in training. Mm. We actually just practice live. We, we decide to go out in the footy field and start trying to run and tackle people when we actually don't even bother going to training to know how to tackle people. You know, so so you guys, you have consistent training of all your people once they're in the clubs? We do. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's important. When it's online, face to, you know, we, have, we have weekly meetings, we have individual meetings, we have team training sessions. You know, and it's, you know, that's what we, what's what we need to do. You just need to consistently upskill people, you know. And, mm. you know but again, you've got to get the right people. You've got to get the right people who want to do the training and want to invest in it and see it. You know, I, I look for our business. I'm looking for a long, I want a long-term career. I've got a long-term vision for this. I don't want people who are just, uh, I'm just here for 
just to see if I like the fitness industry. You know, that's why the recruitment process is so important. Do you actually want a career here? Now, I'm happy for, obviously I understand that not everyone's going to have a long-term career in health and fitness. But I figure whilst they're here, we want to make sure that we train them as best we can and if it arms them for life. Because I know that the skills that a personal trainer will have by coming through a process like we've got is going to set them up for the skills that they're going to be able to apply in any other sector, whether it's through communication, whether it's through sales, whether it's through coaching, how to, how to just ask better questions. You know, that skill, you'll have a better relationship with your, your friends and family if you learn how to coach. You know, so there's all these life skills that, that people will learn through being with us. And hopefully what we can do is you know, create a little impact so that you know, whether someone goes off to do something different, then they go, that was a great chapter of my life. You know, and, and they'll then refer somebody else to come and experience a similar chapter in their life. No, it sounds like you should be charging them to work for you, Andrew. Oh, yeah, it's often. It's, um, <laughs> yeah, and, and to be honest, mate, it's a, it's a bit of a philosophy difference, right? Because mm. you know, back, back in the old days, you know, basically you could put someone and charge someone to come through your mentor program. Yeah. You, know, you could, could do that. That was where the old workplace laws under Johnny Howard and work choices was a whole lot different. You know, now I think what what's happened over time because now we need to pay people. It's under the the you know the K Rudd you know Labor government sort of regulations and the you know driven by the union movements. You know, whilst it, it's great, I think what it's done and we're happy to pay people. We do we pay people for training and all the rest mm-hmm. of it to come through the programs and that we we pay our trainers retainers. So we pay them like you know sort of three fifty to four hundred dollars a week to train when they first come in, even though they're not training clients because mm. that's what we pay them to do is get trained the way we do it. So it's totally flipped. Mm. But I think if in a society that just expects you to pay them for everything, I think the challenge is long-term they suffer. They suffer because they, if they're going to sit back and expect to be paid for every bit of training that they do, they won't get the training that they need because they're not willing to do it. Mm. You know, They say... You know, Jimmy Rohn says you should work harder on yourself than you do on your job. You know, so do as much reading and personal development that you possibly can. Work harder on yourself. You know, so you learn. So Michael Crossland was talking about the simple concept this morning. We preach it all the time, living above the line or below the line. You know, do you take ownership, accountability, and responsibility for what happens in your life? Or do you lie in a bed? And that is stands for lay blame, make excuses, and live in denial. Most people, unfortunately... I hate even saying it. They live below the line. They blame people for their failures. They make excuses for their failures, or they just in denial about there actually even being a problem. You know, and because they're not working hard on themselves, they don't they don't go to the next level and go. If it's to be, it's up to me, and they don't invest in themselves to get better. Mm. And unfortunately, when we're seeing you know the the average career span of a personal trainer only being around five months in the industry as a result of that because they're not willing to invest in themselves. You know, so that's, I think it's a, big, it's a big challenge. It's a big challenge for, for all of us in the industry. But look, at the end of the day, if we're going to be great leaders, we need to invest in our people and show them the way. If you're a club, you're a studio and you've got stuff, send them to Filex. Send them to Filex. You know, but it's, you know, Filex is obviously, you know, of course I'm involved in Filex now, but, you know, that's, that happens every year. It's, yeah, it's only yeah. three days, you know, it's um, well, four days with the business summit, but, you know, it's that constant ongoing learning, yeah. you, know? Yeah. you know, whether you, you want to upskill yourself, whether you want to upskill yourself in nutrition or communication or sales and marketing. Look, you can't even do it in three or four days, you know. I, I did a 12-day sales mastery program through Steve Jensen and Impact Training. That literally transformed vision. Transform vision because I was too busy focusing the technicalities of PT. As soon as I went and did Steve's 12-day mastery program, I learned how to sell. 
So that's why we learned from Rick Sikorsky in the States. He said, at Fitness Together, we only sell 50, 100, and 200 session programs at a time. I'm thinking, I already pay as you go personal trainer, and I've got $40,000 of outstanding client payments. I mean, debt 40 grand. I'm thinking far out. And he said, mate, I went back and studied business and specifically in sales and now we're doing okay. So I thought, wow, this is awesome. And then we implemented the training. I learned I was terrible at it at the start. But when you've got a, you know, you've got the desire to do it, then I just learned how to do it and I got to the stage where I was able to say, for 200 sessions, that'll be 9,600 thanks. How would you like to fix it up? MasterCard or Visa? And literally people would swipe for 9,600 bucks to invest in personal training, you know, and, and people still do it. They still do it. Again, they're looking to go, are you being honest? Are you there to help people? They've got a good reputation and people will do it. It's only themselves holding them back mm. and their lack of skills, lack of belief. Belief's massive. You've got to believe in yourself, but anyway, you can believe in yourself if, you know, if someone believes in you, you know, so that's why having mentors and that to help you to be able to do it is absolutely critical. For everyone at every stage. Completely. So, look, it sounds like, Andrew, though, look, when it comes to upscaling, it's not an easy task. But is it possible for every trainer, do you believe? Or does it have to feel, it has to feel, be a right fit for that person's personality? Do they have to have that innate leadership that you said was one of the most critical elements? Yeah, you've got to, you know, there's a great guy, T.D. Jakes. T.D. Jakes is a big Afro American pastor in America. He probably weighs 150 kilos or something. He's a big man. Anyway, happy clappy sort of guy, you know, right in the church. But there's, he, he has got some fantastic leadership material. And he says, a simple thing, new levels, new devils. If you want to become a leader and go to the next level, you're actually asking for conflict. Because it's going to be conflict at every level of leadership that you rise to. I mean, you a tall poppy syndrome, right? People are going to try and tear you down all over the place. You're going to, you want to go to another level, you are asking for conflict. You've got to be able to overcome that and deal with that. You know, and that's just resilience. And it comes over time. So as if you wake up one day and suddenly got a bucket loads of resilience, now you, you build on it and build up. That's where you work hard on yourself. You've got great people around you to help you through that. I find every day, I'm still going through challenges every day because someone's always trying to have a crack. You know, at, at trying to challenge the way we do things, you know, or the way we think, or someone, you know, it might be that they're just going to make excuses for their lack of success. You know, that's, that's the interesting thing about franchising. It's the same model, and you get some people that absolutely kill it, and other people that don't go so well. The model's the same. So it's always got to come back to the person. Yep. You know, so that's what, that's what can happen. But you've just got to be that person who's willing, willing to battle. They talk about you know, building and a battling. Sometimes you've got to build your business, but at the same time, you're often battling with the same people who you're trying to build the business for. You've just got to be able to push through it. You know, that, that's absolutely And you're right, not everyone's got the tenacity to be able to do that. Not everyone's got the drive to be able to do that. A lot of people are too interested in being liked rather than being respected. That's a challenge. I'm not going to say it's a, it's a challenge for me every day because you always want to think of oh, that people like you, but I'm more interested in actually being respected. And sometimes in order to be respected, you're going to have to do stuff that people don't like. You know, and that's, and that, that's tough. I mean, mm. you know, I, I have my reference point of the Prime Minister of Australia. It doesn't matter who the Prime Minister of Australia is. You always know that almost 50% of the population is going to hate him or her. You know, it's a, it is what it is. Yep. So the higher you go, understand more people are going to try and take you down. Tough gig. 
<laughs> tough gig. Tough. Yeah, it is, mate, but it's, it's really rewarding, you know. Like, you know, people would joke around. I get people saying to me quite regularly, geez, I'm glad I'm not you, you know. And, and I sometimes wear it with a badge of honour, but I go, you know, when, you, when there's a desire and there's a passion for wanting to make a difference, mm. mate, you just got to keep going. Yeah, and like the highs must weigh out. Outweigh the yeah, of course, know. mate. Ab- absolutely. Like you know, whether it's it's opportunities, you know, you get the satisfaction of helping people. And I, you know, I, I sort of understood years ago, which is which is fortunate. I'm never going to help. I'm never going to achieve my go- goals until I help other people achieve theirs. You know, it's it's, a, it's an old saying, but you know what? I actually don't believe too many people truly embrace that. You've got to help other people mm. achieve their goals. You have to, because you can't build anything of scale unless you've got an aligned team going in the same direction. It's not going to happen. You can't do it all yourself. And, you know, there's times there where people actually yearn for the day when they're just doing everything themselves. They had one person, they had a couple of clients, and life was easy. Mm. You know, that's, it is, that's what it is. But I think... For some know, people, that's great. No, and even some people actually, I, I love this one, that they, they say they're looking forward to being their own boss. Wow. You know, at the end of the day, we know that they're never going to be the boss. If they look at customer service, and the client's always the boss. And then if they've got staff, the staff are always the boss if you look at it in the right way because you're there to serve. We're in a customer service industry. We're there to serve people. Mm-hmm. You know, but I think people just look at it, oh, I'll work when I want to work. I'll do my own hours. It's always, you know, hang on, who are you? I'm the boss. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just the wrong way to look at it. And that's what I think holds people back from being really successful. Yeah, Absolutely. Okay, so with all this in mind, there's a PT who's listening to this and he's thinking, or she's thinking, you know, I'm thinking about growing, but, you know, it's, it's, uh, I don't know if I'm ready to, you know, set up a business where I'm employing other staff or going into partnership or, you yeah. know, but they, they've, got, they've got it in their head that, or they've got the, the seed planted that they do want to upscale, they do want to reach more people with what, what they've got to offer. What's the first thing that they should be doing? They've got to sit back and create a strategy. It'll work out how you're going to do it. It's like, you know, you got to, you know, you think, I always use the analogy of a building, a tall building. Like a lot of people think, oh, here we go, I'm just going to build a building. How about I start with the ground floor and go up? If you're going to go up, if you're going to go up to maybe the, the single story, then that might cut it. Mm. You know, it's going to be little. But the higher you go, the deeper you've got to go first. To have a big life, you've got to go deep. And what I mean by deep, you've got to go deep inside yourself and ask yourself the important questions. You know, I used to say the tough questions, but I go, yeah, they, they are tough, but they're, they're so important. You know, what do you want? What do you want for your life? How big a life do you want? What sacrifices are you prepared to make in order to achieve what you want to achieve? You know, and, be, and you've got to go deep. A lot of people just don't go deep enough. They, you ask them, so where do you want, you know, the question, well, where do you want to be in the next five years? You know, do you want to have a family, especially young trainers? Young, young trainers think, oh, yeah, I'm just doing this. Said, Mate, do you want to have a family one day? So I was really fortunate many years ago is that I set myself a goal of having, where by the age of 30, my wife wouldn't have to work. That was the age of 20. I set that goal. Now, I didn't know who my wife was going to be. Or if she'd want to be not working. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah but that was a goal. And that's all about choice. Sure. I, it was not about whether that person wanted to work or not. It was about they had the choice if they wanted to not work or work, they could do that. You know, and, and so, you know, we're really lucky. So I found a great woman in Fiona and she wanted to raise kids. She wanted to, live, she wanted to be at home and do that. And I thought, you know, there was a stage in my life where I thought I wanted a career woman. You know, and 
then I quickly realized you know, after sort of dating a couple of career women that I was like, hang on, this is actually not what I want, you know, because I, I really, uh, having a family was important to me, you know, so, you know, then it was like, uh, I was fortunate to get put through private school, you know, I went, okay, my mum and dad, they busted their butts to put me through, and my sister through private schools, and I went, I got such a great experience from that, you know, even though I didn't do, do too well at school, it wasn't about the grades I got, it was actually about the experiences I had, and the opportunities I had through going to that school, you know, and and I want to do exactly the same thing for my kids. So I realised very early that it was going to take a lot of money to do that. You know? And then, I, then I, I wanted to own a house on the water by the age of 40. You know? So that was a drive to actually do that. And I didn't quite get there. I was two years late. You know? But you know, that was all about goal setting. Mm-hmm. I could, you know, pardon the pun, but I had a vision. Mm-hmm. I, I cast a vision for what I want from my life. And people don't do that. They just seem to live day by day and... You know, but I think to me, that's you have to do that as a PT. I got that through my athletic background that I had to set training plans. I had to set plans all the time for my own performance in my sports, and then I had to do it for my own clients when I was training them. It just made sense. I've always been a very good goal setter, you know, and, and that's been the biggest catalyst. I go, if you're not going to be a good goal setter and you're not going to inspire people through your own activity. Now, if you're not willing to inspire people, if you haven't got the skills to or knowledge to educate people and you can't coach people, well, don't even bother. You know, mm. It's a long-winded answer to a very simple question. But it goes to the heart of it, though, right? It's all about having the vision and the goal and, and being driven to get to that point. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And taking people on the right road with you. you know, and that's the challenge. I, you know, when vision was small and nimble, you know, when I'm talking about small, I, I liken it to a little speedboat. You know, it's like 10 studios big. Mm. It's easy. 10 studios is easy. You know, because I had I had regular contact with all the people, but as you go bigger, you just need more infrastructure to deal with it. You know, and, and I've battled with that over time. Of you know, and, and you know, you battle it. You know, again, new levels, new devils. You want to go to the next level, far out. You need to have a plan. One one big thing. I, I I ran out of time today in my session, so I wanted to talk about this. But it's all about planning eighteen months ahead. A friend of mine, Mark Taylor, who runs a big construction company. That's a secret to to him. He runs, he runs a massive, massive construction company. He says, always think 18 months ahead in terms of your recruitment. So not that, oh, God, I need staff now. No, I'm going to grow into it. And then when you grow into it, you go, what's 18 months ahead? Always thinking that, that ahead and actually, you know, it means it's going to cost you a bit more. But at the end of the day, the cost that you have now is going to be insignificant compared to the upside you're going to have in 18 months' time. You know, so it's like that. So it's really planning ahead and staying ahead of the curve rather than behind the curve. Now, there's times when I've been ahead of the curve and there's plenty of times I've been behind the curve. And, you know, when you're behind the curve, it's tough. You know, you haven't got, haven't got enough people or the right people. And that's like trainers, you know. You see, see with, um, you know, whether you've got one trainer working with you, you know, you've got to make sure that you've got... It's the buffer. So I always say, it's not if a trainer's going to leave, it's just who and when. Yeah. You know, and that's got nothing to do with... People aren't replaceable. The right, the right people aren't replaceable. But you've got to understand that at some stage... They may go, you know. So you've got to make sure you've got contingency to be able to back that. Otherwise, that's when we find that people get themselves in a lot of trouble when they haven't got that contingency. Wise words, Andrew. Thanks so much for speaking with the Fitness Industry Podcast today. A wealth of lessons, I think, for anyone out there, particularly anyone who's thinking of taking the next step with their fitness business and upscaling and you know going beyond what they're currently doing. So, is there any any anyone wants to find out anything more about you and what you do and vision? Where should they sure. go? Just jump on a visionpersonaltraining.com. That's the easiest place to go. I think I've, uh, you know, you can 
find me on Facebook I, and Instagram. I, I tend to play on Facebook, to be honest, more than Instagram. I, I find it very challenging trying to keep up all these social media channels, to be blatantly honest with you. Leave um, it to the experts. Yeah, exactly. Leave it to them. But yeah, best contacts there. I've got a, I've got a little little website, andrewsvision.com, but I don't, don't tend to use that a hell of a lot. But yeah, it's, um, yeah just jump on the visionpersonaltraining.com page and you'll be able to check us out what we do. Failing that, you might bump into Andrew if you find yourself doing the city to surf or a half marathon or even a marathon in Sydney at yeah, some yeah. point. We'll be around. We're always around. You'll see the, the Red Army. We, we tend to ambush events. That's a lot I've, of fun. I've been ambushed myself on one or two occasions, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Very good. Very good. Andrew? Thank you. Thanks for having me, Ollie. It's been a pleasure. To grow the success of your fitness business, learn from the industry experts in Network's online course, Tactical Strategies for Fitness Business Success, accredited for CECs and other professional development points. Go to the Network website, select the Courses tab, and click on Fitness Mastery Series. Members of Australian Fitness Network save 25% on this course, so go to fitnessnetwork.com.au to grow your fitness business. And for face-to-face learning, remember that network members also save on standard rates for Phylex, the fitness industry convention.